December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. All of you history people, it's Pearl Harbor. It's the day that Japan uh, unprovoked attacked the United States. And it's a moment that set a whole cascade of events in motion. And one of those things was that there needed to be a whole new army mobilized to defend the country. And to help get the job done, James Montgomery Flagg drew this famous poster. And perhaps you are familiar with this. It's the iconic, I Want You by Uncle Sam poster. It was meant to communicate with clarity the need. We needed you in order to fight off this enemy. Well, tonight, as we look at the Gospel of Luke, as we look at our theme of certainty, one thing is very certain. Jesus wants you. This is his passage of an I Want You poster. He's calling us to participate in a kingdom. He's calling us to participate in the advancement of his kingdom. He's calling us to be bearers of the gospel, to be laborers for the kingdom of heaven. And as we're going to get into this passage tonight, Jesus makes, I think, a pretty provocative statement. He, he says that the problem is not there are not people who want to respond, who want to be part of the kingdom of heaven. He says that's not the problem. There are, in fact, masses of people who would love to be a part of his kingdom. But the problem is that there aren't enough people to go and tell them. Jesus puts it this way, and this is the heart of our time tonight. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And friends, this is so counter to what I think most of us as Christians think. We think there are plenty of people who want to tell others about Jesus. We have people sitting in churches all across our nation and world who want to share this news, but no one will listen. But Jesus, in fact, turns it on its head and says, no, that's not the issue. There are many who want to hear, but we do not have enough who are going to go and tell them. The problem is not out there. Jesus tells us the problem is in here. For all the chemists in the room, the limiting reagent is his people who are willing to share the gospel. And so my prayer tonight is that as we consider this, that we would begin to realize that we have perhaps seen the world wrongly. We have put on wrong glasses. We have chosen to see the world as it truly is not. And what it's a call to tonight is to see the world as it is, to see that instead of a, a world full of dead hearts who are absolutely dead to God, in front of us is instead a world longing to hear of the salvation of Jesus, a world longing to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in short, it is a call for more laborers. It is a call, and this is where our ministry name comes from, to make disciples. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll go ahead and dive in and take a closer look. It says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, and here's this statement, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this clarion uh, statement that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, forgive us for the times that we don't see the world that way, that we feel stymied by people, where we feel as if no one wants to hear, as we feel fearful of taking the good news of what you've done out. Lord, forgive us for all of those fears, for all of those ways of seeing the world wrongly. And Lord, would instead you, by your Spirit, begin to fill us with faith and to see the world from your perspective. Lord, we begin to see that if we just open our mouths and we begin to, with what we know, share the gospel, that we are confident that many want to hear and will receive. Lord, would you enable more and more laborers, even tonight, to be raised up? Lord, I pray for our campuses, the places where we are living and working and studying. Lord, that these would be opportunities to just see new dimensions of your kingdom come that hundreds more would know you. Lord, we believe that the harvest is indeed plentiful. Would you send out the laborers that are needed? We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I may look like a complex individual, but I'm really not. I love simple things. And so tonight, we have a very simple point and outline. It's two points. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So let's first look at the harvest is plentiful. So in the flow here, Jesus is speaking to these 72, and he's sending them out to do the work of ministry. And so interestingly enough, uh, the context is much like it is tonight. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who profess to be followers of him. He's talking to a group of disciples, and he's, he's commissioning them, and he's sending them out to do the work of ministry. And as I already alluded to, he makes this provocative statement. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, if you just break that sentence down, he gives us two parts. He gives us the problem, and then he gives us the solution. So what is the problem according to Jesus? Well, the problem is that there are more people who want to hear about Jesus and his kingdom than Jesus physically can handle. There are more people that want to be invited in and understand who he is than he can handle. And so what's his solution? That's the problem. What's the solution? Jesus simply says we need more workers. We need more laborers. And what he means by that is people who would begin to share 
and to invest in this crowd of people who was waiting and receptive. Now, let me ask you, is that how you see the world? Is that how you see the problem? Or if you're anything like me, do you more often see the problem as the fact that there are a limited number of people who actually want to hear about God and his word and the gospel? Are you like me? And when you think about the possibility of starting a Bible study on your dorm floor, do you think, well, there's no way that anyone would come to that? No one would be interested. There's not possibly enough people who would be interested in that. See, we identify the problem as there's not enough receptive people. There's not enough people who want to hear. And so the solution then in our minds becomes, well, somehow we need to prick people's interest. We need to somehow kind of trick them in or engage them in such a way that they want to hear about God. But friends, according to Jesus, that's not true. The, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But the disciples themselves, as they're hearing this, the 72, they may have asked the question of Jesus, Jesus, is that really true, that the harvest is indeed plentiful? Well, let's look even historically as they, the hearers, would have heard this. Was the harvest indeed plentiful? Well, if you go back and look over the course of Luke, we see that in fact it was. Right from the get-go in Luke chapter 4, verse 40, it says this, talking about Jesus, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. Right from the beginning, crowds are beginning to press in against Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 9, as we progress even further, he sets aside the 12, and he begins to give them power and authority, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom. And now we find at the later part in Luke chapter 9 that on their return, there were more and more crowds that began to follow after Jesus. So I think for those disciples, it would have been evident that there was something afoot here. There was something true that would have rang true about Jesus' statement that, yeah, there are tons of people who are clamoring to come and hear about Jesus. So it was true for them, but you may be asking, is that still true today? Is that still true for us? Friends, it couldn't be more true today. Christianity is growing. It is growing like wildfire. Jesus tells us that it grows like a tree starting as a small seed and growing. And, and like plants, it's often imperceptible day to day, but when you look on the macro level, Christianity is growing in profound ways. Just did some basic research. According to adherence.com, there are currently 2.1 billion Christians today. Now, this is even dated 10 years ago, but an NPR article told that in an official Chinese survey that one in three Chinese describe themselves uh, and relate it to Christianity, even in an officially atheist country. And if you look, just numerically, Christianity is growing in enormous measures in the global South, in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America. Friends, it is true that the harvest is plentiful. Jesus says it's true, therefore we know it's true, but we are also seeing it demonstrated right now. So what does that mean, practically? What does it mean that the harvest is plentiful? Well, here's the simple application. 
change your mindset. You need to change your mindset. People want to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension to the throne. Now, some of you are sitting at watch parties. Some of you remember fellowship meetings of 50 or perhaps even approaching 100, which is amazing. God is clearly at work on your campus. But friends, I don't want your vision to stop there. The harvest is plentiful. What if more than 200 or 300 people were showing up at your fellowship meeting? Because believe it or not, Jesus tells us there are that many people who long to hear the good news of the gospel. We need to change our mindset. We need to, to be, in a sense, uncomfortable with where we're at because we recognize that there are so many who want to hear. You know, we tell ourselves that our friends and our professors, well, they're not interested in really intellectually engaging in the scriptures. We tell ourselves that our friends are not interested in how the gospel addresses social issues like poverty and racism and mental health. We tell our friends and professors they're looking for other solutions. They're not, they're not looking for Jesus. But friends, Jesus tells us quite the opposite, that we need to see that in these groups of people that actually on the surface seem so resistant to the gospel, that in fact, there are many who are crying out to hear the life-giving, refreshing news of what Jesus has done. So we've got to change the mindset. We've got to change the way we see it. And I want to take a brief moment now and just talk to those of you who perhaps are listening in, who you would not consider yourself currently a follower or a disciple of Jesus. You're perhaps investigating, perhaps you're curious, but you've got doubts. Perhaps you've culturally and historically grown up in the church, but uh, recent events have caused you to question where you're at. Here's what I want you to notice and take note of as well. You know, it's easy to get caught up with the sort of current view of Christianity, that Christianity is this irrelevant, archaic, marginal thing. It's really dying out in the face of science. It's dying out in the face of medicine and human progression. It's really something that's growing inconsequential. But friends, I want you to consider the words of Jesus spoken 2,000 years ago, when there was just 72. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And his words have been borne out. As I alluded to earlier, there are 2 billion people who claim to follow him. There is truth in Jesus' words that the harvest was plentiful and that many wanted to come and hear of his kingdom. And I think for all of us, it should give us pause to say, who is this Jesus? Who is the one who would have such an impact that we would have two billion people subscribe their allegiance to him, that we would tell time after him? And so I just bring this up to say, no matter where you are, please don't just ignore Jesus. Engage with what he says. Engage with the scriptures to see what power is at work here? Why are so many responding to him? So that is, the harvest is plentiful. But now let's turn to the second part of that sentence where it says, the laborers are few. The laborers are few. Here Jesus tells us what we need. What we need is more people who are willing 
to labor for his kingdom, to share the gospel. But it's interesting, as he's prepping this group of 72 to go out, there's probably, like all of us, a lot of doubts about if Jesus were to tell us, I need you, I want you, we'd start to say, well, I'm not qualified. I don't know enough. I don't have enough. Uh, I'm not cool enough to find the acceptance. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough authority. No one's going to listen to me. But I want you to notice how Jesus begins to address those fears. Did you notice that he goes on to say to them, carry no money bag, carry no knapsack, carry no sandals, greet no one on the road. See, he's reminding these 72, you don't need any resources to get started. You don't have to have everything put together. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have a whole program laid out. He says, what I want you to do, notice the command. He says, go, go your way, get out there. I am with you. Start. You don't need money or possessions. But notice even further what he says, you don't need peace or acceptance. I love this statement. I don't know if this would be very comforting to me to hear, but this is what Jesus says. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs amidst wolves. Now, you guys have all watched nature shows. What happens to lambs in the midst of wolves? They get devoured. Total aside, I saw a fun video yesterday of a grizzly bear devouring an elk. It's a graphic image. Friends, Jesus is saying something very profound here. He's saying you don't need acceptance to get started. You don't need to have this welcome. You don't need to feel like the whole world is opening the doormat for you to come. Here's what's interesting. He says, you're going to look, it's going to look like as you start out that you're going to get chewed up. It's going to look like you're going to get destroyed. It looks like there are tons of enemies out there, but did you notice what he implies? That as we go, we will find people of peace. It looks bad, but when we enter in, we're actually going to be surprised. We're going to find that when we enter in, there are people who are receptive. And that's so important to consider as we think about the work of the gospel. It's going to look bad, like no one's going to want to hear anything that we have to say about Jesus. But he promises that as we go, there will be people of peace and that we can come and dwell there and God will begin to work. The last thing I want you to realize that we don't need is more power. We do not need more power. Jesus says that he aligns himself with these 72, that if they are rejected, it's as if they were rejecting him. He says that I will bring the power that is needed. And so, friends, as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus takes away our excuses and he tells us what is clear, that we need more laborers. And friends, I just want to highlight again, just even statistically, the truth that we need more laborers. I was looking up, there are approximately 7.8 billion people in the world. And there are those who have sort of studied and look at this. And it is calculated that one in three, it's about two billion people, have no Christian witness. They have no one there who can tell them of the work of Jesus. And to put that in human terms, right now there are currently on average two people dying every second. 
Right now, as I speak, many are dying and four are being born. We need more laborers. So what does this mean practically? I told you I'm a simple guy and tonight's message is very simple. We need you to become a laborer. We need you to put aside the excuses, to put aside saying, I need more money, I need more experience or knowledge, I need more power or wits, I need more techniques, or I need more whatever. You have what you need. You have Jesus, you have his word, and you have his spirit to give you power. What do you need to do? It's right there in the command, go. You need to act. You need to do something. So how do you act? I just want to kind of lay out for you a charge. We see here that Jesus says first to pray, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. One of the first things that we need to do when it comes to becoming laborers is that we need to be a people of prayer. We need to recognize that God is the one who is stirring hearts and minds to follow after him. And when we recognize that, we recognize that prayer is our most powerful tool. And friends, I have been reminded of that time and time again in this COVID season when I cannot physically be present in so many places that I need to be a man of prayer asking that God would move and work. And so that's why we want you to pray. That's why we prayed tonight for your particular campuses. Pray for your campus. Have you, have you even thought about that as a thing, to, to pray specifically that God would work where he has placed you? Take a walk around campus. Stop in at different dorms and just pray that the Lord would move and work in the people that are living there. But beyond your local sphere, pray for the work of the gospel around the world. Pray for nations. There's a, a great um, organization called Wycliffe that has little things, uh, and also the Joshua Project, where you can look up information about nations and pray for them. Pray for uh, your missionaries that you know. Pray for the pastors and the leaders. Pray for all the members of the church. Pray for more laborers. God asks us to pray and then ultimately pray that he would enable you to step out and be that laborer. So the first thing that you do is pray. But one of the best ways to see God answer your prayers is for you yourself to act. Put shoes to your prayer and go. And just to remind you what this looks like, God often gives us a couple different ways to go. Friends, you're already going to so many places. You're going to your classes. You're going to your dorms. You're going to your teams. You're going to your families. These are the natural interactions that you already have. Utilize those. Realize that the harvest is plentiful in all those places. Your sports team is a harvest waiting. Your classroom, your science lab, your English group is a place for the gospel to go forward. Your family is a place where the gospel is going to go forward. And so begin to think of ways that you can engage there. But more than that, go out of your normal paths. Think of new places, new social networks, new groups, new cultures that you can be a part of. Go out of your way to begin to preach the gospel. Friends, there are simple things that you can do. You can get a lunch. You can get a dinner with a person. Get to know them and share your 
faith. You can lead a Bible study. You can invite people to a Disciple Makers Fellowship. You can invite them to church. You can invite them to a discussion. There's so many things you could do. You could share a YouTube video. There's so many ways that you could begin to initiate and share the good news of Jesus. So friends, in short, I want you to see tonight the world as God sees it. I don't want you to see it as this world that is resistant to hearing the gospel. Rather, I want you to see it as God sees it, that there are many who are just waiting to hear about the good news of Jesus and what he has accomplished. And no, they won't welcome you with a warm cup of coffee and an open chair for you to come sit down. It's going to look nasty at the beginning, but you will find people of peace, and it takes laborers. And people, as we go, God promises that the harvest will come in, and you will get to enjoy being a part of that harvest. So that's our call. That's our charge to you tonight. But what I thought a, a fun way to follow this up and kind of end our time tonight was I was going to invite Clint on up, and we were going to have just a little discussion about how we have actually seen this statement of Jesus to be true, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. How has that actually played out in campus ministry? So give us a moment to reset, and uh, we're going to have a little fun talking. All right. We are back and appropriately socially distanced. It's good to see you. <laughs> Hello, Joel. It's also good to see your beard. <laughs> just kidding. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I like to make people awkward. It's, it's just kind of fun. So, um, yeah, I thought it'd be great to um, kind of flesh out in real illustrations in life, stories mm -hmm. about how this is true. Because I think we can hear Jesus say it but it's often hard to really believe it until we start to see it with our own eyes. So mm -hmm. just in your many years so far as a campus minister, <laughs> how have you seen this statement to be true that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I was, as you're talking, I was just even thinking about all three of our campuses um, that there are, I think close to 4,000 students hmm. between Stevens, E-Town and LVC. Um, the encouraging thing is even just this year, people who are involved in small groups or large groups, there's between the three campuses over a hundred students, but even that like 4,000 total students around that. And yet a hundred of them are, you know, actively, well, there's probably more outside of obviously our ministry, but a hundred that we know are actively pursuing yeah. the Lord and, and thinking about this question. So that just by sheer number of our campuses, in Lancaster is evidence of that. So, yeah, no, it's really good. Yeah. I remember you telling me uh, a story from when you were at Gettysburg mm -hmm. about a uh, football player. You mm -hmm. want to tell that? I think that just really illustrates yeah. the... Yeah, so um, I was at Gettysburg College working for Decide Makers for a few years, and this guy, Joe, became a Christian his freshman year. And he was on the football team, and he wanted to join a fraternity in order to, to reach it for the gospel. And... Um, Fraternities and sororities is pretty big at Gettysburg. And I, I think people for a while had talked about reaching Greek life for the gospel, but there weren't many people who were actually doing it and like taking steps to do it. And Joe, you know, mere months after becoming a Christian in the next school year, he decides, I want to start a Bible study at the fraternity. And so him and I partnered together um, to to lead the Bible study. And we were like super nervous. <laughs> he was really nervous. He's like going out on a limb to invite all these guys. And I think the first night we had like 20 or so guys show up. Um, again, like almost all of them had never read the Bible before. Wow. They had all joined the fraternity to do 
the college thing. Uh, and yet here they are studying the gospel and, and hearing the gospel through this one guy, Joe, who wanted to reach them. Right. So that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, I'm sure many before that thought there's no way that all these frat guys would want to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There, there's kind of like, I mean, similar to what you were saying in the passage, I, I wrote it down, but just kind of the idea that we assume people are going to be unresponsive. And if you had to think of people on a college campus who you would assume are unresponsive to the gospel, fraternities is one of those main, would be one of those main population groups. Like, oh, they would never respond to the gospel. And yet Jesus's word is true even in that yeah. situation. Yep. Yeah, I was thinking of a similar thing, and some of the uh, LVCers might even be familiar with this, but I remember when I first was coming to LVC, there was just a small Bible study of maybe five, ten different students, and it was a great group, but I think there was this sense of, like, it's just this small group, and we're kind of in this whole big campus. There's no way that, like, tons of people would want to come to this, and I remember very early on when I first started to work with them, I told them, this same thing that the harvest was plentiful, but the laborers were few. Mm -hmm. What if we just start and just see what God does with it? And I remember that first spring when we were there, everyone was kind of like, I don't know. And then that fall, we're like, well, let's just try it. Let's just go invite as many people as we can. And I still remember we were sitting, those of you at LBC were uh, used to meet down in the bottom of the chapel in this little, little room in the basement. And uh, I was sitting there it was the first meeting. And I thought, you know, like, if we get 20, I'll be really, really thrilled. And so sure enough, we're sitting there. And as the meeting starts to unfold, the room fills up. People start standing in the hallways mm. out the hall. And they were even standing where you couldn't see me speak, but they were around the hallways because there was that many people mm. sitting there. And it's just an illustration for me of that, that truth that we often think there's no way that people would want to hear. There's no... But what it took was people initiating and some laborers. And then even more broadly, as you look at LVC or E-Town or any campus, as we see students take the, the banner and the ownership of wanting to make disciples, I mean, fellowships just take off. And also you're like, where did these people come from? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's, it's because God's at work and people want to hear. Mm -hmm. So I think seeing a similar thing at both E-Town and Stevens as well, um, I, I mean, at Stevens, there was no ministry on campus. There was no yep. external ministry on campus. And so we showed up as a ministry and just started looking for people. And there were two guys who I met with and pitched pretty much the same idea. Like, hey, let's see what sort of opportunities there will be. And because it was just them being willing to, to go and invite their friends to come to things. And again, these are like people who you wouldn't expect to show up to Bible study. They start coming, becoming Christians. Uh, I, you remember Stefan, baptized yep, Stefan, like packing the room out. Uh, yeah. Yep. And like guys who would not have uh, maybe um, chosen to go, but because they were invited, they came, they heard the gospel and they became Christians yep. just because people went. Right. Yeah. And so I think that kind of highlights what the text says. It's going to feel scary. It's not going to mm -hmm. look like, I think all these groups of people, when they're looking at their campus, they're looking at their world, they're thinking no way. But when they take that step, they ironically enough, find people of peace, and then the gospel takes off. Mm -hmm. So cool. Well, just to end our time, what if you had to coach somebody, they're sitting here listening and they said, I want to become a laborer where I want to increase my output, my laboring output. <laughs> what would you get? Like, what would you tell them to do? How, how would you encourage them to? That'd probably be exactly how they would word it too. Okay. How I'm a nerd. increase our laboring? <laughs> Calm down. Jeez. <laughs> Thanks, Clint. Uh <laughs> Um, 
I mean, there's a, I thought you gave some really good practicals, praying and going. Um, one thing that came to mind as you were saying that is, it, well, you even said to, sh- to change your mindset. We often in the church growing up, we think of missions as either the special career thing that, that those mm. like extra qualified people do, or that thing you do when you're in youth group for a week in the summer. Like that's what missions is. Yeah. But I think part of what you're saying, change your mindset is for you guys as students to realize that you are on mission if you're a Christian. Like it's not, it's not like just a, a one-time event, but if you start viewing your campus as a mission field, as you start viewing yourself as a missionary, as you look at the classroom, you look at your dorms, as Joel was saying, as the harvest, I think that's like, like you said, changing the mindset. That's like the first step. Yep. Um, yeah, that was the first thing. I don't know if you had more practical well, to add to that. I think we didn't get to talk about it in this text, but what you see is that Jesus had actually gathered a group of men, spent th- many years with them, and then sends them out. And then he called them back and he coached them and he walked them through what they could do. And now he's at a, another level sending out the 72 and he's going to coach them as well. And so there's this process of Jesus in this case, but others sort of coaching and helping people well, how do I go be a laborer? In fact, he's teaching them right here. This is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to happen. And so just so you all are aware, in our ministry, that's really what our leadership teams are, are meant to do. There's, there are places where you can come and get coaching on how do I be a laborer? How do I share the gospel? How do I have relationships? How do I teach God's word? Um, so on one hand, it's simple. It's kind of like, you know, soccer, let's say. But like you can have a lifetime of growing in skill Hmm. and precision, or it's kind of like writing or speaking. Yeah, anybody kind of learns to do it, but there's, you know, you can take graduate level courses Mm and how to do it well. And so in a lot of ways, that's sort of what it's like to be Mm -hmm. a laborer. Mm -hmm. It's it's very simple. We just got to get out there, but then we can receive instruction and coaching. So just practically talk to your staff worker and others uh, if you have any interest in connecting there. Mm -hmm. So... Well, that's all she wrote or all I wrote. So <laughs> that's all he wrote. <laughs> <there we go. laughs> well, people don't probably even know Angela Lansbury. Anyway, we'll move on. That was a 1980s reference for those of you who couldn't catch it. You have a few announcements. You do realize some of them have, were born in the I know, I know. I'm old. We're just moving on. <laughs> uh, well, that's our time for tonight. Uh, I just wanted to point you guys to a couple of upcoming things to be aware of. The main thing that we've been talking about is fall conference this year. It's online. It's October 9th and 10th, if I'm remembering correctly. If you go to dm.org slash Christ alone, you can register, you can get more information. And I know this is a different year, but this is such an awesome opportunity to continue growing in your faith with the Lord. Even if you still have questions about who Jesus is, this is an opportunity to do that, uh, to, to spend time in worship, to spend time in the word. I know that some people are going to be able to do watch parties as well. Um, and as a bonus, as a really fun part of the weekend to, to still bring us all together, we're going to have a special uh, scavenger hunt on the Saturday during the break, which you can only participate in, and there will be prizes, if you come to Fall Conference. Um, so it, it's just our, our desire to keep you know, building community with each other, even though we're at a distance. So dm.org slash Christ alone. There'll be a slide at the end once we, uh, once we end the meeting. And then beyond that, if you're new or you haven't gotten plugged in beyond large group, stick around to see the slides for how you can get signed up so you can get communications, so you can get plugged into a small group or other Bible studies. So thanks everyone for joining us. We'll see you next week.
See ya.